And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. From coast to coast, another edition of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. We're not really on different coasts. We're in different time zones. He's in the Windy City, the most southern man in Chi-Town. I am in the mecca of college football, Atlanta, where it is raining again. Fall is upon us. Temperatures in the 50s at night. It's starting to feel like football weather, JC. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, just around, you know, in, in, in Illinois, we, we've kind of had the, the 50 degree nights here for a couple of weeks. It kind of snuck up on me, but uh, I'm actually heading south this weekend um, and uh, going to catch some college football in my normal habitat and uh, looking forward to that. But uh, you, you going know, to Billy Bryce? Certainly feels like now nah, I'm um, I'm heading to the upstate uh, to see some friends and fellowship. Okay, and, uh, I I, uh, I go to very few games uh, these days, and and I actually think I'd like it more with the, the sparse crowds. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm going uh, heading in, seeing some friends. A friend of mine's had some bad luck and good luck all at the same time, so we're going to kind of celebrate and uh, you know go back to you know back to the future a little bit with that, but it's uh it has been football weather. You know, you walk outside in the morning and the air is crisp, the breeze is blowing. And um, that uh, makes me happy because it's, it's, you know, my timing's been all thrown off because, you know, I kind of tell time by two things, the football and the weather and, you know, being stuck up here during the pandemic, obviously in Chicago, the weather does not get warm until June 1st. And then there was no March Madness or baseball, uh, no baseball until like August. Uh, and, and so that kind of – so so I've, I've been walking around thinking it's July <laughs> until the, the cooler weather finally hit. Here we are almost in October. Uh, and um, it finally feels like fall is here. And, and, and what better uh, happening than to celebrate that than the opening of, of what will be – uh, an all SEC SEC football season this year, and I'm I'm fired up about that. Positive vibes out to your friend. We'll definitely get to that SEC slate. We'll take a look back at what happened last week and get you up to speed on the big picture as in terms of who is going to play uh, and who is still struggling to get clearance to play. Those with the dulcet tones of J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and SCC Network. We thank you once again for turning in, tuning in to the J.C. and Morgan podcast presented by Stuart Wingo for all your refi and mortgage needs. Give that man a call and you will save thousands. I'm not kidding. I've used them four times. 803-319-1777, 303 one seven 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 um let's get this out of the way the big the big 10 is in we know that that was the the big uh, bomb that went off last week and we talked about it extensively there's not a whole lot to add there the pac-12 is still hamstrung and i i you know i don't care about being right or wrong on predictions but if you've been listening to this podcast over the last six months in an, in an ocean of disinformation uh, national college football reporters with incredibly slanted political viewpoints on, on, you know, mixed in with the actual hard news of everything that's been going on and just pure outright wrong speculation. I, I, I'll pat ourselves on the back just once, just once, and then we'll get back to being humble. Uh, we've been right on almost everything. If you go back all the way to 
uh, I guess it would be late March, early April. The one thing we talked about was the biggest challenge of any of these leagues was going to be the Pac-12 because it's not – I'm not a Larry Scott fan, and I can't say much for Larry Scott, and I, I, I've, it, it feels like a commissioner just – uh, floundering and and trying to save his job at all costs, but you can't blame all this on Larry Scott. Um, you, when you've got politicians that control the ability for teams to even practice, as you have in California and to a lesser extent Oregon, that's that's just something you can get the votes among the school presidents. It doesn't matter. You're you're out. You're outranked. Um, Whereas, you know, a lot of people wanted to absolve Kevin Warren of any blame for the Big Ten's complete debacle of handling that and say, well, I mean, at the end of the day, he's just a mouthpiece for the school presidents. Look, a powerful and competent commissioner demands the respect of the school presidents in those meetings and can sway opinion, much like all of a sudden that opinion amazingly got swayed to a 14 nothing vote let's play in spite of the fact the science really hasn't changed at all testing you could argue has but certainly the science has not so in the case of Larry Scott uh, he clearly wants this thing to go <laughs> I think he knows his job might be at stake he doesn't want to be the one power five league that's not playing but until things change completely in a couple of those states I don't know if he can pull it off well, you know, and, and it, the governors of, of Oregon and, and California have both said, yeah, there's no reason why they can't practice and play, but then there's, you know, the, the local ordinances. And, and, and what you have, Mike, is it's not necessarily the governors. It's, it's, they, it's unelected bureaucrats that work in the, the health departments. And, and they've, you know, in our country during this time, we've rightfully or wrongfully empowered some of these folks to make blanket decisions on uh, living life. And so, uh, you know, yeah, you're going to have to get the, the L.A. Health Commission to say, okay, you can practice. Or the, the Bay Area, uh, whatever counties, Berkeley and um, Palo Alto, and I think they're in separate counties, actually, uh, to say, okay. Or, or, you know, the Eugene, Oregon, or Corvallis, uh, to say, okay. And, and that's the complex part of it. And then you also have Stanford, who's out there waving the flag of amateurism and saying, well, if we don't have students and all our students are doing this, then isn't it a special treatment for football players that they're on campus and get to use the facilities and all that. And here's what I would do. If I'm the PAC 12, I'm going to say, all right, we're going to move forward. Who's in. And if you're out, you're out, you know, because I think it's too important, you know, for, for the future of their league, you know, to miss a football season, Mike, we've talked ad nauseum about that league and, and how it's spiraling into irrelevance and, and the TV deal isn't that good. And they don't have a dominant team, so they've been missing the playoff. And, you know, the, I think the two times they've been to the playoff, you know, Oregon got to the title game the first year with Marcus Mariota. And then you had a Washington team that unfortunately got had to play Alabama and Atlanta and lost. And um, that's it. You know, and SC's not back. I mean, and I, I think, though, that if you just bag it, that that's going to send a message. And, 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 you know, I cover recruiting and I follow it closely. And if you kind of look at the numbers as far as elite players in California, which is their 
talent breadbasket. That's where a lot of players all over the place that go to those schools come from. You know, a lot of guys are heading east to the south or to Ohio State or to Notre Dame or to Michigan. Um, and they're not getting those guys. So, you know, what message does that send to your recruits to say, ah, well, you know, the rest of the country says it's perfectly okay. And then the rest of the country gets through the season just fine. They crown a national champion, even the Big Ten's involved, and the, the Pac-12's not. It, it, it could have lasting ramifications in terms of football. So I hope they get it figured out. I really do. Uh, do I think that a seven-game Pac-12 schedule with a champion, I mean, when we get to playoff time, uh, do I think they're going to have a representative? No. Um, I don't. I think even if you have an undefeated team, you're going to have a lot of discussion about seven-game schedules versus 10 or 11. But I think those kids and those players deserve to play. You know, I think about uh, a player I'm very familiar with, Jake Bentley, that transferred out to Utah. You know, this is his last year. He wants to go play. Um, you know, I think about the, the the work that Herm Edwards has done at Arizona State. They were set up for a pretty good breakthrough year with Jaden Daniels, a quarterback. They, they deserve to go play. I think those kids at SC and Clay Helton deserves to go play, um, you know, everywhere. Mario Cristobal had, you know, this was kind of their year to, to really make another big move. I mean, they deserve to go play. Um, now, if the local folks don't want to do it, then then I think that's, that's on the local folks. And then what you do is you, you turn the pressure back on them. You know, it, it's easy for a local health commissioner who's not elected, who's appointed, uh, and their bosses are elected to sit there and go, oh, no, we can't do this when everybody else is saying, oh, OK, we'll just go along with whatever you say and the whole league will be out versus, oh, my God, you know, seven of the 12, eight of the 12 teams are playing. You know, Stanford has institutional reasons why they're not. But the other three are because of local health officials. Um, you know, that kind of goes beyond the pale to me. Uh, especially when you consider every other school in the country doesn't have issues like that. Um, what's different about California versus, you know, air, um, you know, Ohio or, or Pennsylvania or wherever. Um, and, and so I think that actually puts the pressure back on the local folks to, you know, figure out a safe way to do it. I, I don't think that the people in those places are smarter than the people in other places. And if the people in other places can figure out how to do it safely, then why can't you do it in Los Angeles or Eugene or, or, or wherever you're at? Um, and I think that political pressure in a positive way will help shape it if the Pac-12 just says, all right, if you're out, you're out, but if you're in, we're going to play. Um, and, and the you know, the vote's coming up. You know, the media out there has kind of changed their tune and said they should be playing. Um, and I hope for the sake of that conference, which is full of programs that I admire and coaches and players that I admire and schools and fans I admire – you know, gets their act together and goes play. The Mountain West is going to play. Yeah. The Mountain West, we're going to get to see UNLV play in the Death Star this year, which I, I kind of think is exciting in front of no fans. But, uh, you know, I, I, the Mountain West is playing. So the Mac know, might re- even play. The Mac may even play. I mean, so you don't really have an excuse uh, if you're the Pac 12. Like I said, if Stanford wants to back out because of how their school is structured and sort of their creed as far as, what they think they are, that's fine. You know, Stanford football will be back. Maybe they want to consider dropping down a couple of levels, but, you know, Stanford will be back. But it's fundamentally unfair for a place like Utah, which has a very low infection rate and case rate to begin with, where local ordinances aren't keeping them out to keep those guys off the field. Um, 
this season at all, just because of the opinions of some local folks elsewhere or certain certain schools that, that think it's against their mission to go play. Yeah, and you don't have to be overly political to, to know that California runs its own playbook in general. Uh, it's just a it's a beautiful state, and I've had the chance to be uh, to be out there, uh, whether it's Pebble Beach recreationally, calling games at uh, Stanford, calling games at uh, Southern Cal. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of where else I've been out there. I mean, I've been to Central California, and I've been to Southern California. Uh, I've never been to, I guess, what, what is truly Northern California, but it is a beautiful state. Uh, and there are a lot of great people in California. But if you know anything about the way the state is run, it's just different. It's just different. I'm not here to make a statement on good, bad, or, or ugly, but it's just different. And it's a shame all those uh, players and coaches are beholden to those specific viewpoints uh, and like you said, either they're the smartest people in the room or they've got this thing a little upside down. And uh, I'm with you. I think they should – the schools that want to play, play. I mean, I don't think the Pac-12 was going to make the playoff anyway. I think they were pinning their hopes to, to Oregon. But chances are they weren't going to make it. But so what? I mean, it, it's still you, – you don't want to be the one power five league that doesn't play. And I don't follow recruiting nearly as much as you do, but I know enough to know that – if they sit this one out while everybody else is playing, that uh, to use an old Ross Perot quote, that giant sucking sound, uh, players leaving California to go out to the SEC and the Big Ten and other places, that is going to expand. California produces a lot of great football players, eventual pro football players, but a lot of them are not staying around anymore. And that, that trend will only get worse for that particular uh, league if that happens jc and morgan coming to you here this week uh, we had another partial slate of college football games uh th- these were not landmark games we, you know we, we're not going <laughs> to complain we promised about that we're just happy to have something you know my my routine on saturday to wake up and watch college game day uh at 9 a.m and get ready for the noon kickoffs and watch games throughout the day. That's intact. Are they the games we're used to watching? No. Uh, watching Clemson uh, blowing out the Citadel with Trevor Lawrence throwing nine passes, 49 nothing. That was a halftime score, by the way, as well. Is that a great game? No. Notre Dame blasting South Florida? No. Uh, even the games we thought that wouldn't be that good were more close than we expected, but that's not necessarily a good thing. Like if you're Oklahoma state and you're just sitting there in a quagmire against Tulsa at home with fans, and you're very, very fortunate to win that game. You got a, a, a Heisman trophy candidate. At least you did. And Chuba Hubbard, he finally uh, did not rush for a hundred yards. Somehow Tulsa's defense was too stiff to, to let Chuba find a hole or a crease. Um, they, they just did not look good. And it continues the Big 12 epidemic. I mean, the previous week, you dropped three to the Sun Belt. You almost lose four if you include Houston Baptist nearly beating Texas Tech. And then you have, then you, you struggle to beat Tulsa with a team that some people had in the college football playoff. So that stood out to me. That and uh, Georgia Tech came crashing down to earth. And UCF, once again, making a statement that uh, they do belong in the conversation for postseason. 
Yeah, the Georgia Tech game, I was disappointed in how they performed. And and I, in all honesty, I thought early on and really through three quarters, I mean, you're looking at a 28-14 game. I think it was 28-21 at the time. And then the floodgates opened. was very impressed. Um, yeah, I try not to say – and look, if you're a UCF fan out there, um, no offense, but, you know, after the claimed national title a couple of years ago uh, as a football purist, I, I don't normally like to talk them up. Um, I'm just going to admit my bias on that, but I thought this was impressive. Dylan Gabriel from UCF, uh, 27 Ooh, 41, 417 yards and four touchdowns. Marlon Williams was lights out. Otis Anderson. Um, we remember, remember Otis Anderson that used to be the running back for the Giants and the Cardinals. Uh, yeah. And the Cardinals. Yes. Yeah. So there's a, here's another Otis Anderson, uh, was really good on the ground and Georgia tech just ran out of gas. Um, uh, and look, you know, tech, it's going to be up and down like that for a while. I'm, I'm still confident in Jeff Collins and the future at Georgia Tech. But UCF, when they turned it on, they really turned it on. And, and you know, tech just couldn't, couldn't match what they had. Uh, you mentioned Oklahoma State. It's baffling to me that they only got 16 points. Uh, you know, Hubbard kind of had to carry the way, but 93 yards and a touchdown. You know, credit Tulsa with hanging in there, man. You know, that's a that's kind of one of those in-state games that, you know, if you're Oklahoma or OU, either one, you never want to lose to Tulsa. So, uh, thankfully, they didn't lose. But um, that's just kind of another black eye for the Big 12. We start conference play uh, with the Big 12 this week, so they, they can't look bad as a conference um, unless it's kind of against each other. So, that's positive. If you're, if you're a Big 12 fan, I know we have quite a few, but that, that was a tough one. Um, especially considering the expectations. Uh, Notre Dame, I thought, looked really good against South Florida. It's going to take Jeff Scott a while down at USF. But Notre Dame, whereas the previous week they kind of heed and hauled to a win over Duke, uh, they were dominant. They looked like a team that, that could contend. Uh, Ian Book, very good. Sebo Flemister with an excellent day on the ground, 127 yards and a touchdown. The game of the day, I thought, was Miami and Louisville. Mm-hmm. And – I'll preface this by saying I don't think Louisville's in a position talent-wise or really even scheme-wise at this point to stop a lot of people this year. I think the Cardinals are going to have to outscore some teams. Um, But Miami was impressive. I mean, Derek King, I think after the UAB game, my question was, can he he throw it? Um, And, uh, you know, 325 yards, three touchdowns speaks for itself. I like – I finally like what they're doing on offense at Miami. I, I want to get on board with this. I'm just – you know, that Florida State game coming up this weekend, Mike's huge. And you and I have talked about this. You know, say what you want about Florida State struggling and losing to uh, Tech at home or whatever. Man, you know, that game, those kids at FSU get up for it. And those kids at Miami get up for it. So, it's always kind of a, you know, situation where you don't know – you can expect the unexpected – uh, but Miami goes in there and rolls and, and gets started. Uh, yeah, I guess that would make them 2-0 in the ACC. I, I think this is a dangerous team in that league uh, for your North Carolinas of the world, your Virginia Techs of the world, if they ever play a game, uh, and your other uh, quote-unquote contenders. Maybe not Clemson, but Miami does play Clemson. Miami's on the schedule now uh, thanks to the all-ACC schedule or the, the – you know, majority conference schedule this year. So I think if you're Pitt, North Carolina, uh, Virginia Tech, you know, the, those schools that want to make it, Notre Dame, that want to make it to the championship game, you got your eye on Miami because 
there is some dangerousness on offense for the Hurricanes, finally, finally, in Coral Gables. Uh, they just got to continue it this weekend against their rivals, the Seminoles. Well, they finally got a quarterback. I mean, yeah. Miami hasn't been lacking for athletes for a while. Uh, I, I do think, I've said this before, following those – uh, those programs in the Sunshine State for a while and, and spending a good portion of my childhood near the 305 and, and watching Miami reign supreme for a number of years. Uh, all that swagger, the moment they get punched in the mouth, a la Mike Tyson, everybody's got a plan till they, till they get hit. Uh, all that swagger almost works against them because they, they've been told from the beginning that they're all world-class and Lord knows they know how to celebrate good plays at the U. The moment there's some adversity, there's a lot of finger pointing. People start turning and you could say some of that's happened at Florida state. I talked about last week, the toxic culture in Tallahassee, they've had it at Miami too. So two programs that have had a lot of issues in house and they've changed coaches and they've done this, they've done that. But uh, what is maintained as an issue is, it's just the overall uh, culture, I think, of those programs. Maybe Manny Diaz now, with the right coordinators in place and with some positive momentum, can can get some more traction. For me, the test for, for programs like that, it's not how you do when things are going well. So like, if Miami beats Florida State, and Florida State looks like still a train wreck at this point. But if Miami does win it and they go 3-0, and and everybody's going to be great and everybody's going to love on the Canes and um, they're all going to say the right things and do the right thing. It's when Miami loses a game. It's when Miami drops a game to Wake Forest or somebody in the league, and then maybe they drop another one. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, all that swagger just seems to, to, to flip and, and it, it works against you at some point. So, yeah, Derek King – for the college game is a playmaking quarterback. Uh, and he, he put that on full display against the Louisville team that let's face it, they were 18th going into that game nationally ranked. I don't think Louisville's a top 25 team when we have a full uh, boat of, of programs and, and all the conferences participating, but uh, good for the U and impressive performance. I, I look forward. I always look forward to Miami, Florida state that that rivalry still means a lot to those people, even when, uh, the game is not uh, the pro the programs are not producing at the level that they're accustomed to. Uh, those are the games that stood out. I mean, you know, Syracuse looks terrible. They lost to Pitt twenty one to ten. Uh, you had Marshall beating App State. Some would call that an upset. Uh, or Marshall's actually got a pretty good looking uh, quarterback. So I don't know how big of an upset that is. That's a tough place to play. Mm -hmm. If you've ever been to Huntington, West Virginia. It's just a difficult place to play. That is not your typical uh, group five home field advantage. You're in the middle of nowhere. You fly into Charleston and you drive two hours through the mountains and you see old rusty train tracks and it's, it's just a different deal. Uh, so I, I, that, that is, um, that is not shocking to me that they would beat what has become a kind of a darling program in, in app state Louisville holds on to go two and zero, So the Billy Napier love fest uh, from, from yours truly will continue for a while. Yeah. That, hats off to Georgia state though. They gave, I watched most of that game. Sean Elliott is another coach to really keep your eye on Georgia state. You live in Atlanta, you know, what kind of a challenge that place is. It's a young program. Um, 
but they're common. I mean, two bowl games in three years, and then I thought they gave Louisiana all they wanted. Uh, one other just kind of side note before we get into the games this week, uh, it looks like the SEC is going to lead the way as they typically do. We're, they're getting rid of the electric whistles, electronic whistles. Hmm. It, it's really hard to watch games, and it's hard to play games where people can't hear the whistle. <laughs> and I don't know why we we just decided we can't actually blow whistles. I mean, all the officials are COVID tested too. They're not blowing in the players' faces. I, I so some of the logic behind this, and we 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 could do a whole hour on forfeiting games due to contact tracing as opposed to actual positive tests. I'm not smart enough to articulate that the way it needs to be articulated, so I'm not going to go there. Uh, but there's still some handling of this that is a little bit curious. And the, the, the whistles have certainly been that way. Uh, it needs to change. And the SEC has uh, announced in the last 24 hours, uh, they're scrapping that. They're going back to old faithful. Yeah, I'm glad about that too. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, you know, we talk about safety. I think any kind of safety issue you were, because, because there's risk with anything in life, you know, and I think 2020 has showed us that. But um, the risk versus reward and, and the safety, I think it's less safe to not hear the whistle in football because that's what makes everybody kind of pull up and not dive on piles. And, and, and if one person doesn't hear it and gets clobbered and, or clobbers somebody and you have an injury, I mean, that, that, there's just all kinds of bad things. Uh, I, I'll quote Ghostbusters. Um, when Vinkman goes, that would be bad. <laughs> and, and then Bill Murray looks at him and goes, define bad, Ray. And they look up and it's the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Yes. Um, you know, that, that, you know, if you can't hear the whistle, that would be bad. And uh, I think that, um, you know, good for the SEC for doing that. One more note on last weekend, I want to add in a shout out to Jeff Halfley, um, the new Boston College coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I thought going into Duke, I thought Duke, I wouldn't call them impressive against Notre Dame, but I thought they fought hard and, you know, your typical David Cutcliffe teams to go in and whipping them by 20 in their home opener with Phil Jerkovich, the former Notre Dame quarterback, throwing for 300 yards. You know, Halfley's a member of the Greg Schiano coaching tree. Uh, I sort of think the formula you have to win at Rutgers is probably similar to Boston College. And, you know, Boston College has been a whole lot better historically than Rutgers. Uh, so shout out to him. Um, you know, it, it – I think that, you know, Steve Adazio was not terrible there, but they kind of needed a new coach. And, you know, you, you sort of wonder sometimes with some of these Ohio State guys, uh, but but it looks like just from one game, the Eagles uh, could be back to being sort of their normal tough out selves. Yeah, as you, as you brought that up, I started thinking, you know, since Boston College has – uh, move to the ACC, what have they really offered? I, it, it's a TV market. We know that's a big part of the whole conference expansion uh, layout, but they haven't been that good in football. They haven't offered much in basketball. They don't do a whole lot in baseball. They don't do a whole lot in women's basketball. Uh, I don't mean to pile on here, but Boston College could use some decent football uh, to, to kind of validate yeah. their existence in the league a little bit. Yeah, and it started well enough. I mean, you know, this was pre-Clemson, pre-Clemson when Clemson was just begging to win the division. I mean, you had some years where Florida State was down and Clemson was down at the same time at 07 with Matt Ryan as the quarterback. They made the title game. 
Uh, and then again in 08, they, they couldn't get past Virginia Tech. Um, you know, so early on, it, you know, coming from the Big East, amazingly enough, the, the, the Big East school that, that came into the league, you know, not counting Syracuse, because I think Pitt's done pretty well too, that has done the worst is Miami in terms of division titles and things like that. But, you know, BC did have a little run there. I thought, um, you know, with Tom O'Brien or whatever. And, you know, if they can get back, I mean, that 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 division behind Clemson right now, it's, it's wide open. So uh, I just wanted to give a little – we don't talk a lot of Boston College here. Um, they have a new coach and a, a, a new coaching hire I was a little skeptical of. So I just wanted to give that shout out because I, I may be getting ready to be proven wrong. And I think if you can go in there and beat Duke like that in the opener and out coach Cutcliffe, um, you know, when they've already played a game, you know, that's, that's a pretty impressive deal as it relates to, you know, ACC football. Somewhere out there listening on our podcast, maybe driving around town, maybe throwing the football with his kids in the backyard. Doug Flutie is smiling and saying, thank you, JC. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> if you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You can also check them out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. Okay, before we dive into the SEC slate, I did want to get two other things in real quick. Go ahead. Uh, uh, one of which has bothered me, another which um, I think is a good idea, and they both involve the Big Ten. The thing that bothers me are the people that they, they are gleefully bashing Nebraska because Nebraska was the most outspoken program about playing. Remember, they talked about litigation. They talked about going rogue and playing on their own. Scott Frost, the AD, the school president, were all vocal and you had some people going on national television saying, what has Nebraska done? But uh, uh, guys, that's not the point. <laughs> you don't have to be a conference champion to recognize that your leadership in the conference is letting you down and that your players have a right to play. If that's the focus of your counter argument, oh, yeah, well, Nebraska's not that good. You're missing the point entirely, and you shouldn't even be allowed at the big boy table. Okay, you should be at the kids' table debating crayons and playing Connect Four, and you shouldn't be at the at the adult table actually having an intelligent discussion as to whether or not the Big Ten conference should sacrifice hundreds of millions of dollars, deny their kids who want to play to play football, deny fans the Big Ten college football experience when all the science and everything else, the testing says you can do it. Um, that, that's a stupid argument. I've been tired of hearing it. Tired of hearing it. That's the one, like, okay, you got a lot of guys, all right, I was wrong all along. I said it wasn't going to happen. I said the Big Ten was smart. I said, but, but, but Nebraska's not even good. It's just a silly, childish argument. I hate when people begin an argument 
It's kind of like when we talk about NIL and college athletes getting compensated. When you start that argument with they get the same thing they got 20 years ago. No, they don't. You're either ignorant or you're just blatantly distorting the facts to make your point. And I'm not a fan of either. So I just had to get that off my chest because I heard a lot of that this week. I don't care if Nebraska goes, doesn't win a game this year. Kudos to them for actually standing up for what they thought was right and turned out to be right. Kudos to Ohio State for doing the same thing. Kudos to Iowa and its school president for doing the same thing. Kudos for all the people at the University of Michigan that basically told Mr. Schissel that if you continue to try and block us from playing football, guess what? We can find ourselves another school president, sir. Kudos to all those people. Okay, got that off my chest. I feel better already. So yeah, a lot of venting that goes on. Here. I'm with you, man. And yeah, some of the reaction to this stuff and how fitting is it? The first game of the the season in the Big Ten here right. on October 24th is going to be Nebraska and Ohio State. You right. Know, Ohio State got a very favorable schedule when they released the first one. Now it op- they open with Nebraska, which, you know, look, let, let's be honest. I think Ohio State will probably beat the brakes off of them. Uh, but then they got to go to Penn State on Halloween. Uh, the Michigan game returns to the end of the year. Uh, so it's interesting. But, uh, you know, we got a month before we got to worry about the Big Ten. This is so interesting this year, Mike, because everything's staggered. I mean, it feels like we've waited a month for the SEC. Now we're going to wait a month more for the Big Ten. And everybody's kind of wrapping up uh, right there before Christmas. So it's uh, it's going to be a fascinating year in terms of, a team playing its season opener right before Halloween. Um, but at least, it, like like you said, I'm, I'm not even complaining about it because at least it's here. And, at least it's you know, here. Cooler and, yeah. heads prevailed and they're, they're playing. You know? And I don't care. Like I said, Nebraska could go uh, one in 10. Uh, good for them for actually making a stance uh, and, and doing what turned out to, to be right. And by the way, my apologies to Parker Brothers and all Connect Four enthusiasts. I still enjoy that game. We can put that at the adult table, but we'll leave the crayons uh, at the child's table and, and people trying to make Nebraska their key point uh, on the argument that Big Ten football shouldn't have been played this year. One thing I want to uh, applaud the Big Ten on, I, I might be in the minority on this, I don't know. I like what they're doing the final week of the season. It, this is done in basketball tournaments quite a bit, and it's been suggested. I know the SEC has talked about it uh, in terms of scheduling, having kind of a, a flex week at the end in order to help teams that are on the bubble plague other good teams to help enhance getting into the tournament. That's not necessarily apples to apples here, but what the Big Ten is doing with that final week is one is playing one, of course, East and West in the championship game. But then rather than having the other teams, the other 12 teams just sit at home doing nothing, two's playing two, three's playing three, and so on and so forth. I like that idea. It's another game. I think the SEC could do something like that as well during conference championship week. I don't know if they will. Uh, but I, I think overall that's a, that's an interesting twist. I'd never thought of it. I'd never heard of that being proposed in uh, any college football conference. But uh I think it'll be interesting. I wonder if if other leagues might consider doing the same thing. I mean, I think it's a good idea, too. I mean, I think that uh, you do the cross-division thing and, um, you know, everybody gets an extra game in, so you're playing nine and, and, you know, you kind of extend the season. And, you know, if you're talking about nine games, you know, it it may be the difference between a team getting in a bowl and not, um, you know, 
obviously I think five and four would get you in this year, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's, it, it's, I like that. I, I like anything that they think about outside of the box that gives us more football. Um, if you're Rutgers and, and their, you know, administration acted like they really didn't want to play, you know, and you got Illinois there at the end or something, uh, you know, they may opt out, but um, I, I think that, you know, the more football, the more opportunity to go play. And, and this gets into, you know, the, the fundamental fact about football. You know, Mike, you played basketball in high school, right? And a little football, yeah. And a little football. But you still play basketball today, don't you? I, I, I will when COVID allows me. Yeah. <laughs> All oh, yeah. the leagues that uh, I used to enjoy have been canceled. I can't even get in a pickup game right now. But, yes, when, when things are normal, I still play. Play basketball. If you're if you're a golfer, you can go play. If you're a baseball player, you can go play church softball. Um, you know, if you're a tennis player, you can still play tennis. You can't do that with football. You only have a finite number of times to put on the pads, step between the lines, and compete against another team. You don't even do that in practice. So, to me, being kind of nostalgic and and, and having the belief as to what the game means and what it is, the more opportunities you get to play for these players you know, the better. And so I, I think, you know, I'll applaud the big 10 for thinking outside of the box and doing that. And if, you know, I think that means the last week of the season is going to mean something, you know, to every, you know, to the teams beyond those that are playing in, I guess it's still in Indianapolis uh, in Indianapolis for the championship. All right. The time we've all been waiting for. Okay. It's SEC time. Dun, 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 dun. I like that. Oh yeah, that is my favorite actual theme song. <laughs> Me too. I have it on. I have it, I have it on iTunes. I, I downloaded it. <laughs> I need to change that to my ringtone. Yeah, it's it's, awesome. uh, it, gets, it gets me juiced uh, yeah. every time. All right. Well, fans are juiced about seven league games. So all fourteen teams obviously in action. Now, some of the spreads are lopsided. In fact, most of the spreads are lopsided. Uh, I think they wisely save some of the best matchups for later in the year. Week one is for. I mean, as much as it can be an, uh, uh, an appetizer to the on course, to the on course, to the main course uh, or the entree, I'm making up words here. You don't have the premiere, but you do have some good games and really none of them are bad. I mean, because they're all conference games. So, I mean, you you look at some of the point spreads, you say, well, Alabama should blow out Missouri and Georgia should blow out Arkansas. I've got Texas A&M and Vandy Saturday night on SEC network and you know AM is a top 10 team right now and Vanderbilt is a team with struggles so people are expecting a blowout there but then you got Tennessee South Carolina which I think will be a vastly competitive game uh, you've got Kentucky Auburn Auburn's a seven and a half point favorite I think a lot of people are loading up on Kentucky to win that game outright uh, Florida Ole Miss how could you not be intrigued by Lane Kiffin's debut at home against the Gators, who, according to the uh, poll that finally came out, the media poll, actually have Florida over George in the East. To me, that is a, clearly a, a Jamie Newman uh, pick. If Jamie Newman was playing, I think it'd be the other way around. But with Georgia still trying to figure out who their quarterback's going to be, Florida got picked to win the East this year. Mississippi State LSU, that's a CBS game. And obviously, when you got Mike Leach, making his debut how could you not be entertained by that what is LSU going to look like with massive losses there so there's something to sink your teeth into in every game I think this is going to be one of the most watched overall weeks uh, 
in the SEC in a long time, despite not having uh, the so-called premier type matchup. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and, you know, you look at these games too. I mean, from start to finish, they all have a little bit of intrigue. You know, I'm intrigued by your game, Vandy and A&M, because A&M had some opt-outs. They have questions at receiver. You know, Kellen Mond is a really good quarterback, needs players to throw to. Uh, I'm curious to see what Vandy looks like because they've, you know, reports out of Nashville have been less than positive. From, from the dispatch up there, you know, it's like, nah, we're, we're, you know, we're struggling. <laughs> um, you got to go to college station. And, you know, I think what there'll be like probably 25,000 in the stands there. I think that's the limit. Um, you know, uh, you know, obviously the Bama Missouri game, because it's Bama and, you know, you got a new coach at Missouri. Um, you know, I, I thought CBS made the right choice with the, uh, you know, the, the Mississippi State LSU game, because number one is the defending national champions. And there's a lot of intrigue about just how good they're going to be. And you got Mike Leach's debut. So he's already been talking about how he's going to strategically save himself in case Mike the, the Tiger gets out of the cage so he doesn't get eaten. I and mean, we've already had a Leachism this week. And um, it's a fascinating matchup, I think, on the field as well. What's the one you're looking forward to the most? Uh, besides Tennessee, South Carolina, because, you know, that's South Carolina is kind of the team that the majority of my business is hitched to. Uh, and uh, I've got a lot of friends that are Tennessee fans. Um, it is the game in Baton Rouge. And, and I was on a radio show yesterday that you were also on. You followed me. That's and, right. And uh, I said, I think Mississippi State will cover. And I think Mississippi State will win the game straight up. Now, that is a bold prediction. I like the boldness. LSU's got, what, eight all-SEC players or double-digit all-SEC players preseason. I didn't – I may have seen Kylan Hill on there from State. But, look, I I, I just – this is a fascinating game to me because, you know, I think the tendency has been with LSU every time they lose a player or every time they lose a coach to go, well, they've recruited well. They've got players. Yada, yada. They'll be fine you know, to where it's like this Alabama reloading kind of deal or whether it's like, oh, well, they're, that, that's good for two losses, but they'll be, you know, very good. And they may be, you know. Sometimes when teams break through like they did last year, that sort of magic carries you through. But, man, you're talking about 36 guys off last year's team. They have three starters back from last year. They have both coordinators are gone. Um, they got a new scheme on defense. They got a new scheme on offense. Although I, I wouldn't differ too much from what they did last year on offense. They got a new quarterback. They went from one of the toughest, hard-nosed quarterbacks in all of college football, and really in all of football, if you think about it, in Joe Burrow to a guy that hadn't played a whole lot, Miles Brennan, uh, who, who was talented coming out, but you, you just don't know. Uh, and I think Mississippi State, with what they're going to be able to do on offense, and I've looked at their receivers, and, and I'll tell you this – Win, lose, or draw Saturday, no matter what the outcome is, this is the most athleticism Mike Leach has had ever, ever, ever in his coaching career. When you're talking about height, weight, speed, guys that can go make plays, he's never had any this this type of thing. So, it, it, you know, now they got to go make plays against Derek Stingley and uh, all those studs they have on defense at LSU, but. I think it's just a brutally tough matchup uh, for the for the for the Tigers in the opener, considering their person. 
I think your dog uh, agrees with you on that. Uh, good, good call, Red. I, I'm intrigued by it. There's no doubt about it. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to go uh, upset. I like. I like the boldness. I still got to go LSU. It's not your typical home field advantage. None of these uh, games are typical home field advantages, but it is in Death Valley during the daytime at 3:30. Again, that'll be the CBS game. I think Kentucky at Auburn is got all kinds of intrigue there. Uh, and you know, for, this is one of the few times there is pressure on Kentucky. You can't play the, we don't get any respect card anymore. You come in here with a national ranking, everybody praising the job that Mark Stoops has done. Everybody talking about, uh, that Kentucky might have the best offensive line in the sec. They've got Terry Wilson back. They've got weapons back. Uh, they're no longer pushed around on either line of scrimmage. There's a lot of respect for Kentucky, the football program. They've been loved on, a lot of bouquets, so you, you can't play the role of just the spoiler anymore. There are expectations with Kentucky football. So how will those expectations play out in week one against a good Auburn team with uh, one of the most highly anticipated sophomore quarterbacks in Bo Nix? Um, now, they lost a, some studs from that defense, a year ago, but Auburn always seems to have uh, a few more in the stable. So we'll see. I think that'll be a, a great way to kick things off again. That'll be at high noon along with Florida and Ole Miss. Yeah. A couple of things about that Auburn Kentucky game. First and foremost, Auburn decided only students were going to be allowed in this game. And so you look at like the, the secondary market for tickets, they're starting at $1,100. <laughs> So War Eagle to you folks out there that are driving those prices up and be careful because one time in my adult life, I got stuck with a student ticket. and could not get in the game. I had to buy another one because they, they mark them. I don't know what they do. I don't know what the policy is in Auburn. So that's number one, Mike, this game's going to come down to Auburn's run defense. Uh, I, I think how you stop uh, a Chad Morris style offense when it's clicking, like when at SMU and Clemson is you, you control the football. Well, Good news for Kentucky, that's what their game is on offense. So if Auburn can't stop Kentucky from running it and they're milking six, seven minutes off the clock, you know, and then they play solid defense and get their share of stops, it's going to be an awfully – like Lou Holtz, it's going to be awfully difficult for us to win the game. Um, it's just one of those things. However, there's nothing that says that, that that's going to definitely happen. Um, because I, I like the matchup of Auburn's uh, receivers against Kentucky secondary, which although they have some good players, I like Yusef Corker and I like Eccles back there and Quandre Mosley. And, you know, they've got some guys that, that, that have played a lot of football, man. Oh man. You know, Auburn's receivers uh, along with Bo Nix, it's a completely different deal uh passing game wise than maybe it's been in the past and Auburn is loaded at running back write this down folks Auburn is loaded at running back I mean you're talking about Shivers got the start DJ Williams was a player I thought was a five-star player coming out of high school personally along with Mark Anthony Richards who's fourth team and then the freshman Tank Bigsby was a highly regarded guy too this is the first time in a long time I look at Auburn's running backs Mike and I go man these guys are legit um, and, and so it all comes back to the offensive line. Are you going to be able to push Kentucky around? You can be able to take advantage of their secondary. Um, and if that's the case, Auburn will not only win, but cover. But if you turn on the TV uh, around, you know, 1.45 p.m. Eastern on Saturday and the score is 10 to 7, 
then uh, the Big Blue Nation may win. And Red agrees with me on that. <laughs> Red is very excited about this slate of games and very vocal he's, about his prediction. He's going to doggy camp later today, so I think he sensed it. The Pet Hotel, uh, he's kind of sensing it, and uh, and he, uh, he he's a big fan of Auburn covering on Saturday. I'll tell you that right now. He told me War Eagle earlier. So, Red, your dog, does not like the underdog. He's going with the favorite. He's a front runner. He is a front runner. I've you, always you, thought that about you know him. You know him. He's a front Your dog yeah. backs more of an underdog guy. Bax yeah. is definitely more of an underdog Likes the underdogs. <laughs> yeah. I, I talked to Baxter earlier. We had an in-depth uh, conversation over some biscuits, and he's going with the underdogs to cover in all seven games. So that's you heard it here first from uh, my wonderful Boston Terrier. Uh, Baxter. Hey, before we uh, break down the rest of the slate, want to remind everybody mortgage rates have dipped to their lowest levels in recent history and with home values up in many areas, probably the perfect time to refinance your home, whether you're looking to lower your monthly payments, free up cash for home improvements, or just pay off your home faster. This is the guy to call. Uh, I only like to speak on behalf of, of products that I use and enjoy and people that I really trust. And to give you an idea how much I trust Stuart Wingo, I bought my first house in 2001. He did the mortgage. I refied. He did the mortgage. I moved in 2007. He did the mortgage. I moved to Atlanta uh, in 2011 full-time. He did the mortgage. I refied. He did the mortgage again. No matter where you're listening to, he's not uh, licensed in only one state. He can take care of you no matter where. And simply put, you're saving money. Interest is nothing but wasted money. This is not like shopping for a car where you're evaluating bells and whistles and does this have the cruise control? What's the stereo system like on this one? How about the sunroof? No, you just want the lowest rate, period. And that's what Stuart Wingo of Ameris Bank gives you. Write this number down if you want to save a lot of money here. Uh, No joke. 803-319-1777. 7-7. You can also visit him online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. How about Florida Ole Miss? This is a, an intriguing matchup. It's it's the Lane Kiffin factor. It's the, is Florida ready to truly ascend to that next level factor? There's a lot of things about this game that I like. It's another noon kick uh, that you'll be able to catch on ESPN what are you looking for out of the Gators and Rebels? You know, I I, uh, I, I certainly like Ole Miss's young talent. Uh, I think that of all the new coaches in the league, talent-wise, uh, and it's a little close because I don't, I don't think Mississippi State was left with nothing. Um, so I, like Arkansas and Missouri, I think, are, you know, lesser than these two. But I, I, I believe Ole Miss, you know, last year, you know, they weren't that bad. Uh Matt Luke recruited well through a tough time. Uh, so they got some players and, and I like, I'm not a big Matt Corral guy, but I certainly can see, you know, where maybe he could step up and do it. I love John Reese Plumley uh, as a, a dual threat guy. Of course, that's not really what Kiffin does. Um, Jerry on Ely is a stud running back. And then they got a freshman Mike named Henry Paris jr. He was committed to Pitt. He's a South Florida kid. And we know sometimes recruiting down there is kind of a grab bag. Hmm. Um, was committed to Pitt. Pitt, Pitt's a really good evaluating team. Ole Miss signed him late. He's listed as a co-starter, a co-starter. So, you know, how good are they going to be on defense? Are they going to be able to have the eye discipline um, to to defend Mullen's team? I I don't know. I I think it'll be a high-scoring game. 
to a certain extent. Well, although Florida's defense personnel-wise is nasty, I do think Todd Grantham presents some opportunities from a play-calling standpoint, and Ole Miss does have some players. Um, and, and, I, and I don't know that, Ole, that Florida quite covers. I'm looking for like a 10- to 12-point win for the Gators in Oxford uh, on Saturday. We talked about Kentucky-Auburn. We talked about Mississippi State-LSU. Uh, Georgia at Arkansas. Arkansas and Vanderbilt, the two teams with the most hurdles ahead of them. Georgia comes in, and again, the big question is, how are they going to look at quarterback? Because everything else on that team seems to be pretty settled, including maybe the best defense in the country. Yeah, I think Georgia does have the best defense in the country. And I'll say this, and you know, my good friend Josh Pate pointed this out, and I completely agree with him. You know, what they're going to do, Mike, is there if, if it's going to be like the Vandy game last year where they went up to Nashville, they got up by a certain amount, and then they just took the air. They, you know, Vandy wasn't going to score, so they just took the air out of the ball and kind of – and they had several games like that. I think given their quarterback situation, you know, Dewan Mathis, he could get some things done with his legs. Physically, he's an intriguing player. He's a great story. But all the reports out of – Athens have been, ah, yeah, it's tough throwing the ball, you know. Um, so they're going to rely on the ground game. Uh, obviously, I think the Arkansas defense has questions. Um, one of my favorite player names of all time, Bumper Pool, uh, is playing at uh, Will <laughs> Linebacker. So I think that's awesome. I also think Barry Odom, uh, you know, as a scheme guy, as a defensive coordinator, has always done more with less. At Memphis, he did it under Justin Fuente, and then at Missouri he did it. So so you can't discount that. If, if Georgia becomes one-dimensional, you know, it, it could get into a chess match. Uh, everybody's favorite quarterback on this podcast, Felipe Franks, is going to get the start. Um, I'll say this. Georgia does have the best defense in the country, but Arkansas, with, with Kendall Browse out there dialing it up, and he can get tricky. You look at Arkansas's receivers, Mike Woods, Traylon Burks, Trey Knox, that is a good trio. Okay, Felipe Franks is Felipe Franks. Hudson Henry uh, is an excellent young tight end. And then Rakeem Boyd could be one of the best running backs uh, in the SEC. So, you know, Georgia just can't depend on them being like Vandy last year and not having much firepower because the Razorbacks do. So so Georgia's going to have to bring their defense, I think, to avoid avoid a game where, you know, you're looking up and it's 17-9. Uh, Georgia in the fourth quarter, and everybody's wondering what the hell's wrong with Georgia. I think, you know, this Arkansas team, coaching-wise, uh, with the coordinators and, and with, with, you know, some skill talent, uh, you know, could be potentially tricky. I don't like the 26-and-a-half Georgia's given up. I think Arkansas could very well cover. I'm not going to call that, but I, I think it could be one of those games where you, you just kind of look and the score's ugly. Georgia wins – but but it's by kind of a, a score that maybe doesn't make all their fans happy. Rakeem po- Boyd from what TV show? Come on. You're killing me. Last Chance You? Still haven't watched it. Still haven't watched it. Okay. All right. You're I've tried. I, I've done everything I possibly can. I've offered incentive programs. Uh, I've I've tried intimidation tactics. Uh, I've I've sent uh, large sketchy people to your front door with uh, copies of the show on DVD. Uh, nothing has worked. But uh, Rakeem Boyd, if you did watch Last Chance You a couple of years ago, 
you would have seen him uh, showing out over there at the uh, – he was one of the California JUCO guys, I believe. Or no, no, no. Uh, the, the coach is from California. The college was in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. So, anyway. Independence, so, Independence College. Independence, in thank you. Originally yeah. from thank Houston. Originally from Houston, Texas. There you go. And I think he went to Texas A&M out of high school. So, Yes, all all correct. And and one of the better backs in the conference. Yes, Um, that dangerous guy. I don't know what they have on the offensive line, but Kendall Browse, it's not just pass game with him and his dad's offense. The run game, they can get pretty creative too. I I, I think they're going to try to get the ball in his hands and the hands of the receivers. The the, 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 the X factor, of course, is Franks. I mean, if Franks can – I mean, if Boyd could get going on the ground, okay, and then Franks can hit his normal, you know, bomb that he, you know, eight times out of 20, he'll throw a strike down the middle of the field that looks like something that Dan Marino would throw Hmm. um, and connect with some of those guys, and there's a busted coverage or something. Hey, Arkansas can hang. But um, of the three major spread games, Mike, and I was asked this this week on radio in Tuscaloosa, I think the one that has the chance to say the closest is probably Georgia and Arkansas of the big, like Georgia, Arkansas, Vandy, A&M, uh, and Missouri, Bama. I, I will say one more thing on Georgia, and I'll maintain this. I'm very curious to see how that offense, when they do feel comfortable and confident with their quarterback, uh, how it looks under Todd Munkin. I, I know a lot of Georgia fans have not been pleased with the rather – conservative play calling in Athens and, and want to see that evolve a little bit. And I think uh, Kirby might, I'm not saying they're going to go air raid, but, but might let the uh, loosen the leash a little bit, if you will. Uh, you mentioned Alabama, Missouri. I, I don't know what to say about this other than this is about Alabama. I, I don't see Missouri being a huge factor this year. Um They've got a coaching change. Everybody loves Coach Drinkwitz. I mean, Coach Drinkwitz not only wins your press conference, he wins every interview he's on. I mean, he is a likable, likable guy, and I don't think he turns interview requests down. I mean, if if you're in uh, Paducah and you're running the midday show, you know, Mike and the Hound Dog, uh, you'll get 10 minutes with Coach Drinkwitz. He's not going to turn you down. He's trying to get the word out, and I don't blame him, but they're just going to be overmatched in this one. Yeah, and, I, you know, look, Missouri, that's a tough situation to go into. I think all these new coaches are getting to know their players a little bit. Um, I look at their personnel, uh, you know, who's going to who's gonna play? Is it going to be uh, Connor Basilak? Uh, they had a kid transfer. Is it going to be Sean Robinson, who had some moments of, of brilliance at TCU and then had some moments of uh, not so good? Um, you know, they've got personnel losses. I don't know what to think about them on defense. They kept their defensive staff, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, and, but he's going to dial up some plays. You know, I think at the very least, Missouri, when we're watching them against Bama, could, could cause Nick Saban to pull his hair out a time or two because I, I expect some exotic formations and, and, you know, strange stuff. But, look, Alabama's my pick to win the national championship. I think – when you talk about off seasons, their off their off season has gone outstanding. You know, very few opt outs. You look at their offensive line. My goodness gracious! I think Mac Jones is an underrated guy. And then they got the freshman Bryce Young. They can always bring in. They did lose some those two great receivers, but they got Devontae Smith back. Um, and 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 uh, not not Judy, but Waddle, Jalen Waddle. They got a stable of running backs. 
Um, they're going to be better on defense this year. Look for DJ Dale, the nose guard, to have an outstanding year. True freshman Jack linebacker Will Anderson uh, is starting as a true freshman and, and is a stud. They stole him out of Georgia. So, look, um, this is going to be a roll-tide roll type of situation in Como. I hate it for Drinkwitz that they matched him up with uh, Bama right off the bat, but I, I just think Alabama's too good to, to really be challenged in this one. I do as well. Uh, two left on the slate, a game that I'm going to be calling Vanderbilt at Texas A&M, getting ready for a conference call with Jimbo Fisher and coordinators and Kellen Mond. Um, I've, I've said this before on some other shows. I think Kellen Mond becomes one of the more integral players in the balance of the SEC this year. Because if he shows out and plays like the kind of quarterback – people think he's going to be and what do I mean by that well I mean you got Todd McShay saying he's the, he's the fourth highest rated quarterback prospect in the land and you got the you got the kid from North Dakota State you got obviously Trevor Lawrence you got Justin Fields he's got he's got Kellen Mond fourth um, there's no question there's raw ability there but it, it it flashes and then it disappears and then it flashes and then it disappears so if he puts together that monster year then that could change the balance of the West, the balance of the SEC, the balance of the country for that matter, if he pulls off some key upsets. If he doesn't, um, then all of a sudden they don't have a chance against Alabama. They don't have a chance against Florida in, in the uh, week, what is it, three, I guess, on the SEC slate. So the balance of the Eastern Division doesn't change a whole lot. The balance of the Western Division doesn't change a whole lot. And Texas A&M is what, what they always seem to be, which is a program that, uh, always has a winning record, always goes to a bowl game, but can't seem to ascend to that next level. And they didn't pay Jimbo Fisher $75 million to be an eight, nine win team. Although in this particular case, eight, nine wins could be good in a 10 game slate, but you understand my point. So I, I think that's the intrigue of this one on top of everything else. Uh, you know, Vandy is Vandy and, and we still don't even know who their quarterback is going to be as you and I record this on Thursday. Uh, but uh, but Texas A&M is one of those programs that has a chance to make a statement in 2020. I agree. And, uh, you know, I've, I've always sort of liked Kellen Monner. Remember, uh, we were ranking our quarterbacks that day. Uh, do you I know do. he's the only three-year starter in the SEC this year? Yes. Only one. Yeah, he's he's the, the grizzled veteran now. <laughs> I, I absolutely hate it for them. that They had two good tight ends that got hurt. And then they had receivers opt out. Osmond opted out. They don't know who's going to start at receiver. So I think when you kind of drill it down, and I like Isaiah Spiller at running back and then all the, you know, young guys they've got, they've recruited awfully well. And I love their defensive personnel. Um, you know, I, Leon O'Neal at safety is a stud. Michael Clemens is a stud at end. I mean, they got studs. Now, let's not – let's just be straight, you know. When DeMarvin Leal – is second team, and I and this is I'm, I may look at be looking at an old depth chart, but DeMarvin Leal was one of the best recruits in the country. Okay, so their defense is going to have to carry him. I, I just think it's unfortunate for Kellen that you know they have questions at receiver all of a sudden. So you got a week against Vandy. I don't know how good Vandy's going to be in the secondary to get the kinks out and find some guys, find some targets because it hits the fan after this week at Alabama and then Florida at home back to back weeks. And so we're going to learn a lot about the Aggies 
really probably bef- before Halloween, we will know if this is going to be another, you know, you know, good solid bowl team at A&M or whether, you know, this is going to be their year. This was their window year. They were pointing towards this. Mon coming back, you know, no more Tua at Bama. Um, you know, no more uh, – Auburn's losing a lot of personnel. No Joe Burrow at LSU. Uh, they had their guy coming back, and, and we'll see. Now, I will say, if they don't quite make it this year with the red shirt rules and all that, they're probably going to be loaded again next year, but, you know, so will everybody else. So, I, I think it's awfully important in the game that you're watching, Mike, to see who steps up at wide receiver that Mon can throw to uh, for Texas A&M because, like I said, it hits the fan the following week. Their, their leading returner from a year ago at at wideout, the most amount of catches, Jalen Preston had three. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also had a kid that was hurt last year that had like 17. But, I mean, they are raw at the wide receiver spot. Now, you know they've been putting together top 10 recruiting classes, so these are talented kids, but they're just completely inexperienced. Uh, they, they, they like what they have at the running back spot with Spiller. Uh, Weidermeyer is a good tight end. But uh, and the offensive line has over 500 snaps between them, one of the most experienced lines out there. Uh, but I think there's just there's just a whole lot of really good, but surrounding Texas A&M. We'll see what kind of statement they make in Week One. And finally, uh, the nightcap: Tennessee at South Carolina. Uh, I said on another show that uh, I thought this could be the most important game of the Will Muschamp era. Because, I mean, we all know what kind of seat he's sitting on. Uh, This is one of those swing games. You don't know how many of those you're going to have. You're at home. It's against Tennessee. You want to make a statement to your fan base that you're you're heading in the right direction after a disappointing 2019 prime opportunity to do so. Yeah, and and look, this game would have been circled had it been played – in October, like, or I guess we're close to October now, but it had been played, you know, game four or five, like it was originally scheduled, you know, these two schools, it's, it's kind of a, a separation deal in the SEC East. Tennessee is trying to continue their ascent and South Carolina's descended. So, you know, you got a, a situation where the last four games in Columbia have been decided by a field goal. Uh, Tennessee's won once in Columbia since 2006. Um, but they've been close and and this game normally is close. And, you know, that would, to me, give Tennessee an advantage because they won a lot of close ones after they beat the Gamecocks last year, they close at Vandy. uh, I mean, sorry, close at Missouri, close win at Kentucky where they survived. And then the bowl game, they came back from 13 down late to beat Indiana and Jacksonville. So I think that kind of deal, the way they ended can give you confidence you know, going on the road and, and facing a team that, you know, I, I look at the two two teams and, I you know, I think there's a reason Tennessee's a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I'd give them a slight talent advantage, but I don't think it's that far superior to the Gamecocks, uh, at least not yet. I think Tennessee's best recruiting classes are yet to come, and they're not on campus yet. So, I, I, you know, a lot of times in this series too, Mike, it doesn't matter how good – one team is or the other. You know, I've seen bad Tennessee teams almost knock off a Jadevian Clowney, uh, Marcus Lattimore-led Gamecock team. And I've seen, you know, the Gamecocks go up there in 2015 after Spurrier resigned mid-year and play a pretty good-led Butch Jones and Josh Dobbs team and lose uh, because the tight end fumbled going in at the end of the game. So, 
it should be very entertaining and um, certainly will be close. Uh, and I think a lot of folks are, are actually looking forward to that one if they want a good close one on Saturday. Can you think of a more roller coaster career for an SEC quarterback than Jared Garantano? And by that, I mean, like, you, you have to be good enough to continually start, but you also have to be inconsistent enough to continually lose your spot, have the fans be completely against you. I mean, he, is, he has been up and down uh, throughout his career in Knoxville. But he is the guy, again, starting week one in 2020. But you just – sometimes he is a truly a Forrest Gump box of chocolates where you never know what you're going to get. Yeah, and I'll say this, too. I think he's uh, – you know, he, he's been a guy that I haven't always thought was great. I didn't – I wouldn't have rated him four stars as a recruit. But I'll tell you what he is. He's tough. Um and a lot of times when you're evaluating a quarterback, the reason I wasn't high on him was he's more of a camp guy. You know, he didn't have the numbers when he had the pads on. I was like, well, he can get it done in camp, but can he get it done with the pads? But I'll tell you this, I've seen this guy take shot after shot after shot mm-hmm. after shot. Uh, and he, he, he most of the time, especially in games when he's on, he'll deliver the ball accurately. Um, and, and so I, I think that, you know, his toughness, his mental toughness, his ability to bounce back. And then I talked about those close wins down the stretch last year, man. That's huge. And then don't forget as well, this is his second straight year in Jim Chaney's offense. The first time in his career he's had the same coordinator in back-to-back years. So he's going to be able to run it. Tennessee's got a good offensive line. They got question marks at receiver. Um, and then I think question, a little question mark on the D-line. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt was complaining about that, but they're – elite in the back seven, uh, at least talent-wise. So uh, it should be a good game. I mean, I think South Carolina's offensive line versus Tennessee's defensive line is a matchup to watch. Um, I think, you know, Tennessee's receivers against South Carolina's secondary, which is supposed to be talented, is a matchup to watch. And then, you know, the key to me is going to be, can they get Ty Chandler and Eric Gray going running the ball uh, with those big guys inside? Trey Smith's an All-American level guy. Uh, Brandon Kennedy is the Bama transfer. He's in his sixth year at center. Um, they're probably not going to get Cade Mays eligible because of interleague transfer rules, but you got Jerome Carvin right in there who's a big guy as well. If they can line up and gut South Carolina in the middle, um, you know, it, it could end up being a very successful night for the Vols because that opens up things and takes pressure off those young receivers uh, and allows Garantano to deliver the ball uh, when they can throw when they want to and not because they have to. If not, if South Carolina can stop the run, you know, I could see the Gamecocks winning the game. So it's uh, it, it's just one of those if games, kind of like Auburn and Kentucky, uh, where you look at it and go, hey, this could, this could go either way. And, you know, judging by how this series has gone historically, that that's probably accurate. Should be a lot of fun. Again, that'll be at 730 on the SEC Network. JC, as we wrap things up, tell the fine folks how to get uh, – indoctrinated in the jc and morgan podcast if they haven't already done so absolutely okay so you can go on uh, apple pods uh there used to be itunes it's called apple podcast now if you have an iphone and you know you're like me and that's how you listen uh to podcasts go on the podcast app scroll down hit the subscribe button because that'll give you an alert every time we do have a new episode and then if you wouldn't mind rate us five stars and leave us a little review uh, because that helps us get ranked in, in categories and gets even more listeners also we're on the stitcher app we're on google play which is for androids we're on spotify we're on iHeartRadio. 
Um, just about anywhere you find podcasts, you can have yourself a JC and Morgan. Um, so check that out. Also follow us on Twitter at JC and Morgan. Uh, we have, you know, special links there and uh, some interesting content on that Twitter account as well. Absolutely. Can't uh, thank the folks enough for the response that we've had over time. I think this is our 120th installment of this podcast and it has grown exponentially over the last year and a half or so. JC, enjoyed it. Should be a fun, fun weekend for everybody involved. We'll have plenty to talk about next week. For JC, Mike, so long, everybody.